do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Hal? Welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. I'm Jason. This is Red. And this week we are discussing Stanley Kubrick's 1968 trippy sci-fi masterpiece, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Why is it trippy? <laughs> Did you actually see the movie? Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's it's self-explanatory. I First, didn't see it trippy. Okay. But first, we're going to talk some uh, sci-fi news. What do you got this week? Nothing. Nothing. Sorry. Nothing. Nothing jumped out at me. Uh, I got a couple things. Uh, Looks like the third season of Stranger Things is being delayed till summer of 2019, so... See, I don't watch that, so... Oh. It didn't jump. Normally it comes out around October, uh, around yeah. Halloween. So uh, it looks like it's going to be on a, I guess a six to eight month delay, which kind of sucks because I was looking forward to it this year. But yeah. Um, the next news that I have is that the billing, the cast billing came out for episode nine, and it includes both Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. Well, I did see that Carrie Fisher's going to be back in. I hadn't heard about Mark. Yeah, so, I mean, I figured Mark Hamill was going to be included in the the final installment. He's probably going to be a a force ghost. He's probably going to help Ray on her journey. Wow, what a stretch that is. Yeah, well, you know. But Carrie Fisher is kind of, I mean, I'm sure they're going to, due to her 
untimely uh, passing back in 2016. I'm sure they're going to kind of wrap up her character at the beginning of the movie. Sure. Um, and I'm sure they've got plenty of deleted scenes and stuff from the, the previous movie that they could use. So hopefully well, they send her off. There's that CGI stuff, too. Yeah, but gosh, that just... I, it doesn't look right. It just... It's still not there. I don't... I, I hope they don't do a whole lot of CGI on her because even when they did it when she was floating out in space and force pushed herself back into the ship. It just, you could tell. Yeah. So hopefully they'll send her off. I'm sure they'll send her off with uh, dignity and respect and it'll, it'll be touching. So she ought to kick her kid's ass is what she ought to do. <laughs> um, 2001. This is a movie that I have not seen. In quite a long time. So I had forgotten how much of a mind fuck this movie was. It's <laughs> one of those things that you can definitely tell it's got some 60s DNA in it. Um, <laughs> you can definitely tell it came from an auteur director. Um, but despite all of that, it's still a super enjoyable movie. Well, and I didn't... Maybe I'm wired different. I didn't see it as a mindfuck. Really? Oh, yeah. No, to me, mindfuck with Kubrick could be Clockwork Orange. Well, yeah, that movie is a mindfuck as well. Um, Even the old ultraviolence. Yeah. But I didn't really have a problem with this because one of the first things that popped into my head was um, when you're dealing with alien intelligence there's going to be alien perception the various True. ways stimuli are interpreted so i just anytime something got a little weird i'm just like okay this is where the two realities are kind of converging True, and in kind of uh, as an inspiration from this movie i've been toiling away in my secret laboratory on a artificial intelligence of my own Cool. Uh, and, uh, she got big I've, boobs? No, it's actually a dude. So, Oh, dude, uh, I like I like little perky boobs. Why do they got to be, you know, on a dude? Come on. So I'm, I'm calling this, in, in spirit of the, the HAL 9000, I'm calling it the JCN 42, uh, or as I, as I call it, the, the Jackin. So... I've been working on my jacket in my secret lab for the last few days. And, oh, I'm uh, sure. I think I'm, I'm sure. How's I, the wife feel about you jacket in the lab? Well, it's, I, I don't think she's, she minds, but um, I think I've gotten my jacket uh, to the point where I'm ready to release it out into the world, if, uh, if you'd like to hear. I think, it, I think I'm going to have my jacket. Oh, I think I'm going to have my jacket do the, the pod crawl this week. What do you say? <laughs> Hey, it sounds pretty good to me. Well, I, I assume it sounds pretty good. Let the fapping begin. <laughs> Let's do it. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod crawl. The pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Excellent. Insert it deep. Pod crawl. Kind of like a space suppository full of information. We control the horizontal, we control the vertical, we control your volume and the fact that there is nothing on the screen. This is the Kubrick Zone. Oh, the movie is starting now? A scene of a lunar eclipse opens and begins our odyssey to the dawn of man. 
Apes and Javelinas, a partnership that has survived the ages. Two ape clans have a crunk battle for control over a puddle. Enter Big, Black Cuboid. The Big, Black Cuboid is the boss of you. The Big, Black Cuboid wants you to pick up that bone and beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> the Big, Black Cuboid says that bacon is tasty. Man makes it to space with their bone technology and discovers the joys of napping weightless. In the future, everything in space is bright white. Film brought to you by Hilton, Ma Bell, Howard Johnson's and IBM. Dr. Ha. Floyd is going to a place with odd goings on and has no idea about it, sounds about right. In the future, all sports are judo. Oh what a feeling, when we're dancing on the ceiling. 10 steps ha. to use the toilet in space, step 6 will shock and amaze you. Ha. In the future, all space suits are made of dryer vent hoses. Astronauts ha. like their sandwiches with the crusts cut off. Everyone yeah, goes do. to take a group pick with the big black cuboid, but fails to pay the sitting fee and receives feedback. A guy trains for the big fight. In the future, all channels are BBC channels. Food brought to you by General Mills. HAL 9000, right. the true star of the movie, gives the greatest interview of all time as his crew members dote on his amazing intellect and abilities. Frank gets a birthday message and a raise. HAL shows his superior chess skills. HAL shows his superior art critic skills. Hal shows his superior psychoanalytical skills. Dave can read punch card. Dave takes his space ball and goes for a spacewalk. <laughs> tethers? We don't need no stinking tethers. Hal, quite properly, places blame where blame is due. Frank tries to deflect his own shortcomings on the obviously superior intelligence. The flesh sacks discuss mutiny in a space ball. We pause this flesh film sacks. for a pee break, smoke him if you got him. Frank goes for a spacewalk and meets with an unfortunate space ball related accident. Dave rescues Frank's corpse and starts his descent into madness. Unfortunately, while Dave is gone, the frozen meat bags on board the ship have life support related issues and expire. Recognizing Dave's mutinous intentions, Hal refuses to let him back on board. Dave proves to be a persistent meat sack and boards the ship through the emergency hatch with murderous intent. Hal tries to reason with him, but like all fleshy beings, proves to be unreasonable. Dave murders Hal in a jealous rage. As Hal's life slips away, he sings a song of love and hope, showing that even faced with the end of it all, he is the superior being. Hmm. Orbiting around Jupiter, other big, black cuboids and the moons line up for roll call. The movie drops some acid and Dave goes on a literal and figurative trip in his space ball. Dave and his space ball land in a neoclassical bedroom and Dave, who got really old, explores his new surroundings. Really, really old Dave is having dinner, but pauses to greet his somewhat younger self, who promptly disappears. Really really old Dave watches really 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 old Dave die in bed, a wrinkly old shadow of his former, mutinous self. The big black cuboid offers no sympathy. Really 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 young Dave, secure in his giant space womb, looks over the earth, and roll credits. <laughs> Outstanding! And I'm glad you recognize the evil of humanity. Oh, that wasn't me. That was all Jackin. He seems to be well, somewhat biased towards Hal. Jackin, sure why, Jackin's got it going on. Jackin's got this shit figured out. However, I take issue with the big black cuboid. Really? It's not the big black cuboid. That's not the thing I thought of when I saw it. <laughs> and what did you think of when you saw it? It's all about the Pentium, baby. The big black Pentium? <laughs> It's the Pentium chip, man. That is, that is dual core. I know we got more than that now, but I'm just—I could just see, you know, off in the distance, you know, there's a little IBM guy. You well, know his name. The original. You know his name. The original Pentium was a dual core. No, no, but I'm just saying, it's all about the Pentium, baby. 
I think I think when that song came out, they were pushing the dual core at the uh, time. Yeah, Weird Al Yankovic. Right. I think it was the dual core that was hot when he made that song. Uh let's but, let's find out. Let's do some uh, research on the fly. It's one of our favorite things to do. There we go. Let's hear that zipper drop. You know, I remember one time I told you that when I dropped my pants, I heard the angels sing. And your response was, all I hear is a thud. That was so rude. Yeah, it was. So 1999 is when that song came out. Let's see what generation of Pentium chip was going on. Did I guess right? Uh, Let's see. 1999, April of 1999, we were on... Pentium 3. Katamai had just released. Oh, this is, yeah, this is the era of the stupid cartridge. Oh, I hated those things. Well, while you're doing that, I just want to say that I think the dulcet tones of the HAL 9000 are awfully eerily reminiscent of a sleepy Bill Gates. (laughs) You think so? I'm thinking so. I'm telling you, it was the Pentium that brought about the evolution of man. So, no, the the Pentium 3450 that came out in February of 99 was still a single-core chip. Ah, fuck. Oh, well. I'll go back to waxing my modem. Either way, there's no piece of half-eaten fruit on that obelisk as That's much true. as certain techno elitists might wish there were <laughs> in fact it wouldn't surprise me if that thing didn't say galaxy s9 plus but yeah absolutely we're talking alien intelligence yeah so it's actually a interesting story how they depicted the alien intelligence in this movie it also makes it interesting to me in, in the fact that it's not like this thing inspired them to discover their thumbs in a way to harvest a melon or some fruit from a tree. No, it went they straight to violence. Yes, it went straight to pick up the stick and beat things with it. So with that in mind, it kind of brought to, to my memory... The old Rolodex started whirling around. You smell the used bookstore in the air. <laughs> and I was thinking of Babylon 5, probably one of my all-time favorite sci-fi shows. Uh-huh. And how the conflict between the Vorlons and the Shadows was essentially a difference of opinion. The Shadows were inspiring through ordered discipline and complete subservience to them, whereas the Shadows inspired through conflict. Knock over the ant hill, the ants make a better hill. Uh huh. The stronger survive, you know, very Darwinian. And so I was thinking, you know, that that also that that brings into question the entire psychology behind the creation of the obelisk, because I do not believe the obelisk is an intelligence unto itself. I, I regard it more as a probe transmitting the desire, the intent of its programmer. Yeah. So it's actually. An interesting story how the obelisk came about. So Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick 
collaborated on this film. It's based off of a short story that uh, Clark wrote back in the 40s. And then he and Kubrick kind of fleshed it out in novel form along with the script at the same time for the film. Um, one of the people that they consulted uh, for the film was Carl Sagan. And they consulted him specifically on what an alien or an extraterrestrial intelligence would be like and what they would look like. And, and uh, Sagan kind of pushed them away from actually showing an alien race because, you know, whatever form that they showed that alien race to be was probably going to be uh, humanoid because we right. have limited imaginations as, as far as how we depict alien uh, races. Um, and he, he kind of pushed them towards showing, you know, the alien technology. And I think Arthur C. Clarke further refined that to show the, the obelisk or the monoliths as kind of an evolution of the alien species technology. And then later it, uh, in both the novel and further movies, it, it was explained that the, the alien species evolved to be a, a species of pure energy. So, Right, yeah, 2000, I can't push the books hard enough. 2001's great, 2010's excellent, 2064 wraps it all up. But so I think it was a I think it was a smart move to not actually depict an alien uh, species, but basically Absolutely. depict their technology that was um, kind of helping other alien races evolve. And uh, you bet. So one of the questions that I had whenever I was watching this this movie is when he was talking to his daughter on the video phone. Uh, basically, he was FaceTiming his daughter. Right. And, uh, More technology that's real now. Right. Um, of course, Pan Am's not real anymore. I can remember Pan Am. Oh, I can too. And that was funny seeing that uh, Pan Am was was doing what Virgin Galactic's doing now. So exactly. Um, but his daughter Branson's laughing his ass off. Right. His daughter asked for a bush baby. I had no fucking clue what the hell a bush baby was. I had to I had to look that shit up. It's like a a small looking lemur type kind of cat lemur type thing. Now see, um, I thought it was just a young Angelina Jolie wanting to start her adoptions. <laughs> oh my god, that's awful. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a it's a small little yeah, cat looking thing. Comes out at night. Um, they are indigenous to Africa. It's a primate. Um, yeah, it's it's really weird looking. I mean, it's kind of cute. I can see why a kid would want one. I don't think it's probably a great pet, but... You don't think so? No, I, I don't think so. What about those tapers at the beginning? Yeah, so those tapers that... Um, Jack and incorrectly called Havelinas. Um, I looked up the tapers. I like their nose. It's like yeah. a little trunk. I think that would be fun to like. You know, I, I'm I'm a fan of getting a big old dog and scrunching its muzzle up and giving kissy face. I bet you that'd be like kissing a horse's snoot, all soft and wiggly. Well, yeah, actually, it would because they're somewhat related to horses. Um, Neat looking. Yeah, so. I I remembered seeing tapers 
or I, I remember seeing the tapers and, and I had to look them up because I didn't think they were found in Africa and they're not, they're found in Asia and South America. Um, so I'm kind of curious as to why they use them in, in that Africa in the beginning of the film. I don't know. Maybe they were actually found in that area, you know, millions of years ago when people were just or basically chimpanzees. It could have been, but I mean, this movie is so well researched. Land, land bridges, maybe. Maybe. Like maybe I said, they're throwing back to Pangea. Well, Pangea was long before this would have happened. I don't know. We they, they weren't even real clear on what type of hominid, pre-hominid, those things were. Well, I think it was it was Australopithecus. Looked kind of like Lucy, is what I was going to say. Yeah, Australopithecus. But yeah, so the the costume design was supposed to um, was supposed to be Australopithecus. Uh, they went with a kind of a hairier Australopithecus because. The original costume design didn't have as much hair, but they couldn't get past an X rating because of the dangly bits. Mm-hmm. So they went with more hair. That's why they didn't use bonobos because we know what they'd be doing. Right. And I thought it was incredible the costume on this because I the the working mouth parts and the I, it they look. Very ape-like. Whoever, whoever designed these costumes, especially for 1967, 1968, which was when this film was was released, which is 1968, mm-hmm. so it would have been mm-hmm. in development like, you know, 66, 67. Mm-hmm. The, the, I mean, the technology for special effects, especially like facial special effects, wasn't nearly as advanced as we have now. And I would say that this is probably as good, if not better, than a lot of movies that we get now as far as facial special effects. So it was really good. Hats off to them. Um, There were a lot of critics at the time who thought that they used actual apes for these scenes and uh, had very well well trained babies. Yes, the babies were actually baby chimps, but uh, every everything else was were actors in monkey suits or ape suits. This is true. But I mean, that, that was really good. I enjoyed it. It it carried on. I mean, the the set designs were amazing. So so well made and and so very realistic. Uh, the the centrifuge they actually built a a spinning set so that they could simulate walking in a in a centrifuge type station. Uh, mm-hmm. Where they would have the actor walk, and the camera would be in a stationary position on that set, and the set would spin. So the actor was always walking at the bottom, but it made it look like he was walking around the the space station with artificial gravity. Right. Uh, this the, yeah, the set design was was terrific. They, I mean, there were some definite '60s DNA in there. The the uh, the Super spherical head caps that the white or that the stewardesses wore were definitely sixties era kind of miniskirts. costume design. The mini skirts, the uh, all white with those kind of sixties era colors, you know, like harvest gold and avocado green, and it was groovy, baby. Yeah. Right. 
So you definitely got some of that that in there. Um, but everything else looks great. Oh, absolutely. So we get to the guys, and uh, they find uh, this obelisk on the moon. And that's what spurs on the mission to Jupiter. Yeah, there's so... A, there's, there's a cover-up story. God forbid the government's covering something up. Oh, the government wouldn't cover anything up. And what was the reasoning behind the cover-up? So, it's the government. I mean, so, I think the, the initial reason for the cover-up... So, if you remember whenever he got on that first space station and was... Um, uh, being, being questioned quizzed. by, I'm guessing was was that was he uh, German? That guy that was. I think so. He sounded German or Austrian. Yeah. So when he maybe was, even Swiss. Yeah, he could like, have been there's Swiss. There's a difference. <laughs> right. I mean, they're all just like right there. It's all the same language. Um. So when he was being questioned by that guy, uh, he. They had the cover story of there was an epidemic on the moon base, and it was in kind of a quarantine kind of, quarantine kind of situation. And mm-hmm. basically, whenever he gave his speech to the com- uh, to that committee, I guess on the on the moon base, uh, he was basically saying that people, humankind, wouldn't be able to uh, grasp the fact or handle the fact that you know they're not alone in the universe. That there was a they had been contacted by an extraterrestrial uh, intelligence and they didn't want to sow panic and chaos. So they were keeping it under wraps. They were hiding it behind a, an epidemic on the moon base. And I think that was just basically a, a continuation. The, the, the uh, trip to Jupiter and the secrecy behind that was just a continuation of uh, that, that kind of cover up. But the fact that they didn't tell the crew on the discovery while they were going to Jupiter that of what they were to expect whenever they got there, I think, was a little short-sighted. Well, I think the pilots didn't know, but I think the people in hibernation did. You, th- you think so? Yeah, and I think that's why they were in hibernation, so that they wouldn't let anything slip on the long trip there. That, yeah, that may be true. I can, I can see that. Of course, we'll never know because they got, you know, axed halfway through the trip. True that. True that. I thought it was incredible. Again, going back to the set design, because I just can't get over the set design for a 60s sci-fi movie and how well done it was. And the Well, that and how plausible the technology is. Right. And the fact that we hadn't even made it to the moon yet. We hadn't even stepped foot on the moon yet. I mean, we had made it around the moon. The Apollo missions had already uh, transversed the moon by this point. But we hadn't actually landed on the moon by the time this movie came out. And the fact that... In fact, uh, Yuri Gagarin, when he saw the movie, he said that it was the closest thing he'd ever seen to what it was like when he was in space. Yeah, but the fact that they got so much detail and so, so many details on the moon and how things happen and how the moon looks uh, is just incredible. Um, there, there were some experts that looked at the movie and said that, you know, the equipment that was used on the moon, the, the earth moving equipment would have, you know, would have been operational, would have worked just like they had depicted. So 
they did a ton of research and had a, a ton of outside consulting to get a lot of these these details correct. It's it's an amazing feat for it is. It's for almost as see. if they knew we were going, and maybe <laughs> Kubrick was almost. It's almost like he consulted the moon landings. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> oh God! Yeah, the parallels are just frighteningly accurate. Uh huh. So you're gonna go down that path? I'm thinking you're some people take, already are. You're gonna take us down that path? Wasn't me. Just watch The Shining. Oh, <laughs> just the yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Little Apollo sweater. So it's all uh, it's all a huge conspiracy, and Kubrick was in the middle of it. Well, the thing is, we'll never know. So what you're saying is, 2001 was just kind of the the dress rehearsal for the moon landing. No, the conspiracy says that 2001 was so awesome they went to Kubrick and said, "Hey, can we borrow the set?" Oh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the the most recent conspiracies I heard regarding the moon and all that was that we were going to get to the moon, no problem, but just in case there was some screw-ups or that, uh, and this does sound partially probable to me, was that uh, they weren't going to be able to get back some of the images that they had hoped. And so they had some fill image done, some publicity shots done. And people kind of took that and ran with it crazy conspiracy with the aluminum foil in the hat. But um, there, were, there there has been some pretty good speculation that uh, there might have been a couple of publicity shots assisted by Mr. Kubrick and his papals. Really? But, uh, yeah, but nothing... You know, it's, it's nothing that we can prove or disprove since NASA accidentally erased the tapes. So I, I kind of find that hard to believe because by the time NASA would have seen the movie or, yeah, by the time NASA would have seen the movie, it would have already gone through post-production and editing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the sets were already dismantled by that point. So I don't think right. they're going to rebuild all those sets just to get some fucking publicity shots. Well, we'll never know. Just telling you what the buzz is on the net. Yeah. And the Earth is hollow, and the government's run by the... Oh, no, 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 no. We'll get into that when we do Iron Sky. Don't get ahead of yourself. (laughs) Which also takes place partially on the moon. Well, yeah, but there's also a sequel to Iron Sky that needs to hurry the fuck up. Oh, man. Dude, anytime you get to see DeFure on a T-Rex, it's worth a ticket. I just want to see the T-Rex eat him and shit him out. <laughs> that would be the only good part of that movie. Oh, come on. Iron Sky was adorable. It had its moments, but... Mm. It was hilarious. Sarah was, Palin is president. It was rough. The future leader of the Third Reich, his fiance fallen for a black American astronaut. Yeah! <laughs> was awesome. The only thing missing was Mel Brooks being Prime Minister of Israel. 
Remember that from uh, uh, History of the World Part 1? Jews in space! I do. That would have been great. He'd have taken them all out. Bunch of mushuganas. <laughs> He'd have done it. But, no, I enjoyed, you know, hats off to the special effects people. Kubrick was a genius. Arthur C. Clark, um, Clark amazing. Um, I think it's really neat that they were talking to Sagan, getting a lot of this going. But one of the big things about the film is the breakdown of the HAL 9000, the infallible computer system. Right. It detected an error in their transmitter, said it would fail, and it was just an imminent failure. It would maintain operation until it broke. So they said, we're going to go out, we're going to pull the part, we're going to look at the component and replace it. And when they brought it on board, ran the diagnostics, there was nothing wrong with it. Right. Now, why do you suppose? When they went, huh? Why do you suppose Hal made that mistake? Um, honestly, and the first thing I thought of was it's got to have something to do with the cover-up of the mission. Okay. My thought. I mean, I know what happened because I've read the other books. But when I first saw this back in the early '80s. My first thought was, it's got to be some kind of programming because he's either been told to do something or he is through interpretation of his orders, the protocols of of the mission, doing right. it. Right. And so um, that's that's where I'm at. You know that the the system that they were using his 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 we now know sister system, the Sal nine thousand. Sal was saying there's nothing wrong with that component. But Sal was not privy to all the information that Hal was. And so that tells me that there was, you know, it's got something to do with information that Hal had access to that the other computer did not. And that's why there's a discrepancy. And so when we're looking into, you know, further getting into the movie where, you know, he comes across that transmission that was not supposed to be revealed until after they had achieved Jupiter orbit that we have to maintain secrecy. You know, we, we can't let anybody know what's going on. This is the true nature of your mission. And they start talking about the monolith. And so I'm thinking that is what led to the breakdown. I do not believe it makes no sense to, by design, Eliminate the crew that you've taken such pains to get up there. So yeah. it's definitely on the, the chips of Hal. We can't say shoulders. But it's definitely on his chips. Um, but at the same time, it is the responsibility of the individuals that set the mission in motion for the loss of life. Yeah, I so, think Hal was a victim of circumstance. Well, yeah, and, and that's what... Uh, that's what the speculation is, and I think uh, I think Arthur C. Clarke and, and Kubrick have both kind of confirmed that is is it was the conflicting uh, orders uh, that Hal got that kind of led to his his breakdown and, and killing of the crew. So Hal was ordered to, or Hal was built to be infallible, right? So mm. uh, he was he was built and unlike Apple of, computers. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I say that or think that? 
And I think that was a that that was your outside voice. So that was my outside voice. Damn. Um. So you know he was he and he kind of prided himself in in always being correct. And then mm. whenever Dave asked him, you know, basically um, a question that kind of conflicted with his having to maintain secrecy uh, of the mission, then that caused a, a conflict. Uh, where those those two his his infallibility and his having to kind of be deceptive towards Dave uh, caused him to go into a mode where he had to start protecting the mission above all else, and he thought that the only way to do that was to kill the crew and. Get rid well, of and I think they kind of, except for the uh, for the guys in hibernation, I think the crew deserved it because they were stupid enough to talk in front of a video monitor. They know how <laughs> smart this thing is. They could have left the pod turned around. Right, right, yeah. That was that was definitely an oversight on them. I mean, or at least put your backs to the portal. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was that was definitely you an know, oversight that came back to bite them. But I mean, you, I mean, you don't think about that. You don't think, okay, he's. I would have. Well, you're just I a would've. paranoid fucker. No, George Orwell. George Orwell. It's not paranoid if they're out to get you. That's right. <laughs> so, um, one of the another one of the questions that I had, and one of the notes that I jotted down as I was uh, watching this this movie is that mush food that they were served you know the mm-hmm. the various levels of brown mush mm-hmm. that they shoveled mm-hmm. into their mouth why were they chewing that i think people do that out of habit really yeah i think i think when you're masticulating it's just what we do when we're when we're consuming food and honestly i think it's just out of habit i've caught myself doing that with like pudding Chewing your pudding? Yeah. <laughs> Partially. You know, so, I mean... Yeah, if you're having to chew your pudding, there's something wrong with your pudding. I understand, but I don't just swish it around, you know, with my tongue and swallow it. Like I just, I, I do a partial chew. I think it's just a mammalian thing. So, give me another question. Um, the only other note that I had written down, cause I was really enthralled in this movie. Like I said, I haven't seen it in probably about 10, maybe 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other note that I have right now is that shot from Jupiter, uh, where they kind of went over Jupiter, showed some of the, the moons off in the background and then showed the sun. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure that the sun would be quite that large. Uh, no. From that shot of Jupiter, I don't believe so. And I'm trying to. I don't think we had any probes that had gone out that far by 1968. No, no, it wasn't until I want to say when did uh, be Voyager one and two? Let's do some on the fly. Yep. Voyager one. Let's try Voyager that. one. 
Voyager 1 was launched in 77, so it probably wouldn't have made it to Jupiter. Voyager 1 reached, uh, let's see, Jupiter, Saturn. Voyager 1 made it in 1979. The closest two got was also 1979 on July 9th. Yeah. March 5th, 1979. So that was over 10 years before we actually had anything that would have been able to shoot from Jupiter to kind of right. get that scale. But you also have to realize, you know, they were probably dependent upon archaic telescopes, remote viewing, and people on mushrooms to try and come up with the spatial relative and sizes and everything of the star and all that. So. Yeah, that's true. And we didn't have math at that point, so. No, 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 not yet, not yet. That was still a closely guarded secret by the Persians. <laughs> They're hanging on to the variable, uh, what was it, the, the Incans or the Mayans that came up with zero? I can't remember which, but they were hanging on to that too. Came up with zero? Yeah, I want to say it was one of the, I want to say the concept of the number zero. Uh, Check that. Go back to the research. <laughs> I think Babylonians had a concept of zero. It was first invented by Ramagupta, not Aryabhata. So I'm thinking we're looking at India. Fifth century AD and the concept zero. Let's see. The concept zero was fully developed in the fifth century AD. Before then, mathematicians struggled to perform the simplest by calculations. Zero was in was invented independently by the Babylonians, the Mayans, and the Indians. Yeah. But it looks like uh, the Mayans developed zero as a placeholder around 350 AD. Oh, okay. So they actually used it as a digit instead of just... The concept of zero first appeared in 458 AD, and that was in India. Gotcha. So, I was right and wrong, which makes me neutral. Yeah, they cancel each other out. Kind of like zero. Neither (laughs) positive or negative. I'm just null. (laughs) <laughs> just no but yeah so we didn't have any of that shit getting in the way it was all remote viewing and shrooms which would go hand in hand with 1967-68 right yeah and I'm pretty sure that yeah they catered to the people that were on shrooms in this So well the- that brings us to the purple hippo award Oh, we'll I think get to we that. have. I think we agree on who gets that one. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm sure that we agree on that one. <laughs> no, so that that really gets into the auteur kind of part of this movie, and I think one of the things that kind of detracts from this movie to. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is this is a great movie. It's it's basically a masterpiece. It's it's one of those mm-hmm. movies that will probably stand the test of time for a long, long time to come. But Certainly. the 
three minutes of basically cacophony before you even get the fucking title card to the movie. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. an artistic design choice that I could have done without. Um, you don't even get a line of dialogue until about 25 minutes into the fucking movie. Which right. is, is fine. I mean, once you get into the movie and, and it shows, you know, early, early, early man and their struggles and then it introduces... Was that the only life. one looking for Ron Perlman trying to find a little bit of flame? <laughs> Just Boy, that's an obscure fucking reference. Just saying. <laughs> so, and then um, the... I guess the Stargate that he goes through at the end, while technically marvelous, I, I think lasted probably a little too long. And mm. um, the. Or did it last long? Perhaps that was just a <laughs> millisecond from the perceptions of the man. Right, right, right. And then the landscape shots that they kind of, you know, Miscolored or or did some some color alterations too. I think were a little over yeah. the top as well. So it's like, what wasn't it you that told me if I were to be at the event horizon of a black hole, I would die instantly because of the exposure to the radiation. But if I were observing someone at the event horizon, I would see them stretched infinitesimally thin as they pulled into the black hole. Yeah, so yeah, I mean the the intense radiation at that that point of the black hole, I don't you wouldn't survive, but um yeah, so because the intense gravitation not only distorts space, but it also distorts time. Um yeah, you would it would just be a humongous or a a, a long kind of stretching effect. I get my sciatica fixed. Yeah, yeah. Probably a chiropractic nightmare, but what do they call that subluxation? <laughs> right. Is that what they call it? Right. If anybody tells you subluxation, just run. <laughs> just just run to a physical therapist and an MD. Get a muscle relaxer. <laughs> right. Oh my god. But yeah, so I agree. Some of it was a bit drawn out. There's I can only take so much artistic wham bam. I mean, not but, not to uh, not to no no no. I'm not detracting from it. It's just that it, it's kind of like I got the point. Yeah, you know, ninety seconds in, I got the point. I'm I'm pretty sharp. You know, maybe have it go by faster. But yeah, for for the time period, that was it. You know, that was it. The only thing missing was a little Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd was actually tapped to do the soundtrack for this movie. Were they? Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah, I think... Uh, that would have been interesting. I think that would have been a whole different take on, on the soundtrack. I am a Floyd fan, so I would have enjoyed that. Right. Of course, I also enjoy watching The Wizard of Oz with Pink Floyd. But that's a different show. <laughs> yeah, it is. And... Pink Floyd with the Wizard of Oz and some uh, chemical enhancements are also fun. I don't know that you need the chemical enhancements. A little sleep deprivations worked for me. <laughs> I think I'd, I was up something like 30 hours and 
It's like, I've only got like five hours to go. What can I do? And dug that up and wow, that was trippy. So what did, what did so, you think of the giant fetus at the end of the movie? That's, uh, that's something I, thought, I still don't, I still don't quite understand. I thought it was essentially uh, just a statement, an artistic statement, saying that the evolution of the planet is paralleled in the evolution and creation of humankind, and that we are a universe within ourselves, that as big and diverse and amazing as the planet Earth is, on a very small embryonic level, humanity is just as amazing and magnificent. And it is reflected within the uh, creation, you know, the intelligent creation design by the aliens of humanity. I mean, one could argue that the obelisk actually had a hand in the formation of the planet itself, if not the entire solar system. Well, it definitely has a hand in, you know, according to, you know, according to the the, the movie it has a hand in in the evolution of mankind so you asked that's my answer yeah i still don't know what to think of the the giant fetus in space well if it was homer simpson inside that little placenta sack you'd be all right with it they they done a, a homer simpson kind of spoof on did they yeah on 2001 cool Simpsons are pretty cutting edge. I, I think uh, the Simpsons have just about touched on every pop culture trope or event known ever. So that's 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 where you come up with the the line the Simpsons did it. So that's first I've heard that line. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm a pretty sheltered guy. I go to work, I come home, I watch sci-fi movies and get on the internet with you. Yeah. Yeah, there's a you see uh you see a show or or another animated feature that that goes along a certain plot line or makes a parody of something and yeah, the Simpsons have already done it. I can believe that. No, I thought this was a great film, and unless there's something else to discuss, you know, I'm all I'm all ready for the awards. All right. Well, who's got your Black Lung Award? Didn't see anybody smoke. I didn't either, so I'm going to give it to Doc Cottle as a default. There we go. <laughs> I'm with you there. For the drinking, for the Lush Award, I'm going with what I'm going to say was the Swiss scientist on the space station. Yeah, yeah, he's got my uh, head Lush Award as well. So we're agreed on that. Uh, who's got your player award? The player award. Um, damn. I didn't see much play. I didn't see any play. Hmm. There was a little play. You got to got to kind of think about it sideways but there was a little play well that doctor at the beginning did have a daughter no i'm not talking him i mean you can certainly give it to him that would be that would be acceptable i mean he's he's apparently dr floyd has apparently got a little play he's he's procreated so right which i think dr floyd's done so much better by rob 
what, what's his uh roy scheider Schneider, scheider schneider scheider i think yeah scheider in the next movie yeah i'll go with him I'll all right dr floyd with the player my player awards going to the obelisk oh come on <laughs> What? It's come true. On. Come on. Look at all the adulation that the obelisk has has uh, drawn to it. I mean, it shows up and the apes are sitting there rubbing all over it. It shows up on the moon and man goes up there and starts rubbing all over it. And then it transmits its message out to Jupiter. This is not a obelisk. video for theory of a dead man. <laughs> You're making it sound like porn star dancing. That's my player award. That's your player award. All right. I mean, if you can refute it, if you'd like, I, I, but I, I, think, have, I've got a, but I, I think I've got a pretty strong argument. Uh, yeah, very existential, but yeah. All right. <laughs> and then, of course, the purple hippo. The purple award. hippo. There's, there's only one, Bowman. one person that could get the purple hippo award in this movie. Oh yes, that's Dave Bowman. Dave, absolutely. Good morning, Dave. You know that actually. You want the red pill or the blue pill, yeah. Dave? Do you know that Good Morning Dave is not in the movie? Yeah, but I also thought it was neat talking about the red pill and the blue pill. How uh, he was advised by Hal to take a stress pill. Yeah, dude, take a chill pill, man. It's okay. Take a stress pill. Let's 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 talk <laughs> this out. It'll be all right. I got all kinds of ludes for you. We can fix this. Take as many as you need. Here, take All some right. more. Wash it down with a little methadone. <laughs> All right, so time to pick our next movie. Let me guess, it's the Rocky Horror. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to find that out. That is a sci-fi. It is, and it's on the list. So you need to pick a number between 2 Six. and 95. Six. Six? Six. Six. All right. You asked for it. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It looks like starting next episode, we are going to go back to a series. It's a short-lived series. Oh, no. Uh, Debuted, I think, in 1980. Let's double-check that. Oh, no. No. Not quite. Oh, no, no, no. No, sorry. This debuted in 1975. Uh, it actually okay. went a few more seasons than what I remember. So we are going to follow the crew of Moonbase Alpha. And we are Space going to start... Space 1999! Space 1999 with Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Oh, gosh. If we can oh. find the episodes. <laughs> Actually, they're on YouTube. <laughs> Are they Somebody's really? Somebody's pirated them up. So two seasons. We'll start well, season we'll, we'll, one next episode. No, no, no. We'll just let's just watch several and just discuss. You don't want to go There's through no the need. seasons? No, 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 no. <laughs> There's no need for that. Let's let's just watch them and we can discuss the show as a whole. Really? Okay. Please. Please. <laughs> I thought you liked this series. I did when I was prepubescent. Uh, my tastes have gotten a bit elevated since. I've gone back and watched a few. <laughs> Haven't held up 
They haven't held up. Oh, okay. So, although I like the eagle ships they got, those are kind of cool. So we will discuss the series as a whole. Yes. I will. Uh, I will defer to you, and we'll take this offline. I'll defer to you on what episodes you wish to uh, review and discuss. You'll you'll have a better taste for the quintessential nineteen ninety nine or space nineteen ninety nine episodes than I will. Okay. <laughs> what, what, whatever you think. That's cool. We got this. All right. Well, that's got it for this week. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Pod crawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podchaser, and Blueberry. You can leave us feedback at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com, on Twitter at saddestpodcast, or email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. I'm Jason. Did you see the size of that chicken? I'm red. And we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, well, that so. was a good pregnant pause. It was. I like that.